Greetings, and welcome once again to Nothing Never Happens, a radical pedagogy podcast. I'm Tina Pippin, your host, on a journey into educational and pedagogical theories and questions of democracy, freedom, and liberatory teaching. In today's podcast, we'll be exploring pretext, an innovative interdisciplinary pedagogy that incorporates the arts and social change. Okay, let's get started. This is Nothing Never Happens, and I have with us today um, Viola Hartfield-Mendez, who is the Director of Engaged Learning, the Center for Faculty Development and Excellence uh, at Emory University, and she is also Professor of Pedagogy in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. So, welcome to Nothing Never Happens. Glad you could be with us. And also, we have with us today Doris Summer, who is um, one of the leaders of the concept of cultural agency. She is the founder and faculty director of Pretext and Cultural Agents at Harvard University and the Ira and Jewel Williams Professor of Romance Languages and Literatures and African and African American Studies. Uh, she is also a Fulbright special on the Fulbright Specialist roster uh, to do this work out in the world. Uh, she is the author of uh, one book that we'll be talking about in particular today, The Work of Art in the World, Civic Agency and Public Humanities, published by Duke University Press in 2014. And she is also the editor of um, uh, Cultural Agency in the Americas, also Duke University Press, from 2006. And we will be bringing in her wonderfully titled article called Wiggle Room. Mm -hmm. So welcome to Nothing Never Happens. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, let's get started talking about the whole concept of cultural agency and the cultural agents uh, uh, project at Harvard University. Thank you so much, uh, Tina. I'm delighted to uh, to speak with you and uh, and your listeners, and to be in the company of Viala. Um, about cultural agents, uh, I'd like to say that around 15 years ago, I became desperate with our field of the humanities. Our best students were leaving, both graduate and undergraduate students. They were leaving to study medicine, economics, politics, um, anything but the humanities. And I asked them why, and they said, well, we love literature and the arts, but we want to do something useful. So I felt abandoned and useless, and I wondered why, uh, knowing as a student of the humanities that for about 2,000 years the humanities were dedicated to civic development. Mm -hmm. And so Cultural Agents is a project to reconnect our work with a very long and venerable tradition of civic mission. Mm -hmm. And um, at that moment, uh, I knew some good sources. Cicero, for example, who gave Mm -hmm. his best speeches in defense of his Greek mentor, who was about to be sacrificed by the Roman Forum. Great 
cultural agents throughout uh, the history of, uh, of the West, including Voltaire, including uh, Thomas Jefferson. Um, the, the major leaders are humanists because the name of art, and this is a very simple message that I like to share with people, the name of art is innovation. Art means doing something new on purpose and getting a rise out of other people. And uh, here I'm, I'm just paraphrasing Russian formalists, for example, Viktor Shklovsky. Mm -hmm. What is uh, the aesthetic effect? It's what stops you, mm -hmm. what makes things difficult and interesting and encourages you to think hard and to talk to other people. So this is why the aesthetic effect, mm -hmm. uh, judging art, thinking about it, is the basis of free societies. Mm -hmm. And Shklovsky there is a student of Immanuel Kant. Yeah. Immanuel Kant's whole project of the Enlightenment needs aesthetic judgment just mm -hmm. for this same reason. Yeah. So this is the venerable, uh, serious tradition that cultural mm -hmm. agents comes out of as a response to what I at least think is um, an irresponsible mm -hmm. uh, cocooning of, um, of humanistic studies inside university classrooms without a projection outside. Mm -hmm. So cultural agents begins there. One of our great mentors at the moment was Augusto Boal, yes. because he was still alive yeah. 15 years ago, and I had studied with him. Mm -hmm. I said, here's a man who changes the world through art. He knows, just like Schiller knew, mm -hmm. that in uh, moments of conflict, uh, it doesn't make any sense to have the right answer because then you increase conflict. We know about spirals of resistance and power through Foucault, for example. Yeah. How do you deal with conflict? Schiller said you deal with it through art. You come in mm -hmm. indirectly, you charm the enemy because their taste is purer than their hearts. It's one of my favorite quotes. Mm -hmm. You charm people, you get them to talk to you, mm -hmm. and then you can deal with difficult issues. Yeah. So this was the project of cultural agents. Doris, you've been talking about the influences for cultural agents. Could you talk about the present day mentors and models that are influencing and inspiring the work? Uh, in a short while, one of my students said, if you're serious about this project, you should meet my mother and her boss. They're coming to Cambridge mm -hmm. next week. I said, I'm serious about this project. I'd love to meet your mother and her boss. Mm -hmm. Well, her mother turned out to be the right-hand person to Antanas Mokus, mm -hmm. who was then the mayor of Bogota, Colombia. This was still in 2003. Mm -hmm. And Mokus is a name that everyone should know, and part of the project of cultural agents is to make visible great models and mentors that we could have. Mokus mm -hmm. was elected mayor of Bogota, Colombia, when it was the most chaotic, violent, unlivable city in the hemisphere and probably in the world. And when his secretary of culture came to him after only one month of administration and said, boss, this is impossible. It's time to bring out the clowns. <laughs> Mokos looked at him as any 
child or artist would look at somebody with a wink and mm -hmm. say, good idea. Yeah. So he brought out the mimes, he right? Did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He brought out the mimes to, um, to ensure that people could cross on crosswalks mm -hmm. in the middle of a city where there were lots of um, deaths uh, by traffic accident in the middle of the city. And the mimes had no authority. They couldn't give tickets, they couldn't take names, <laughs> no authority. Everyone thought this was going to be mm -hmm. ridiculous. And of course it was ridiculous because it made everyone laugh, <laughs> but no one yeah. wants to be laughed at. So traffic deaths went way down. In the first year, they were reduced by half, mm -hmm. and, the, and the reduction continued. Mm -hmm. And with one artistic intervention, one performative participatory intervention after yeah. another, after two administrations, the statistics showed, not only his statistics, but everyone else's, that the homicide rate had reduced by almost 70 percent. Um, Tax payments went up threefold, 300%, because Mokos uh, was not stealing from anyone and was showing public works. Yeah. So this is the background of cultural agents. And just to make the bridge into pretext, uh, since I take Schiller, Friedrich Schiller, mm -hmm. seriously, and I believe with him and with more and more people that the human condition is a creative condition, we all have a drive towards play and being creative. He coined the term Spieltrieb because we all have a drive to be creative. Because I take him seriously, I had to ask myself, what am I doing as a creative agent? It isn't enough yeah. to talk about Mokos and Boal. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I want to be a creative teacher. And there I found more wonderful allies and mentors, including Paulo Freire. Mm -hmm. John Dewey, Jacques Rancière, mm -hmm. yeah. and we can make something as simple as Boal taught us to make it, simple protocols with very rich results. Mm -hmm. And um, so we've been doing pretext for the last 10 years, and the place we do it most successfully because Viala is in the lead here is yeah. right here at Emory University and in the Atlanta area. Yeah. I want to go back and revisit a few points. Uh, one is uh, when you mentioned Mokas and his own background in this philosophical tradition yeah. um, and his study of philosophy that, and the theory that informed his praxis, which is a very Freirean idea too. That's right. Um, and then I think you know, a common link here is Paulo Freire, um, but also his use of what you call the patron saint of mm -hmm. cultural agents, uh, Antonio Gramsci. Right. Um, so, you know, the theorist, I mean, the, the theory is very thick, and ironically, uh, a little bit white male European, mm -hmm. except for Boal and <laughs> Freire, and a few others, Marcus and a few others. Um, and, and some of the women who are, you know, doing the books and the and the art uh, in Latin America, um, but that this theory is is so useful today in terms of propelling us and getting us deeper into thinking about uh, praxis for social change. Um, I also wanted to talk more about the aesthetics 
dimension of this. Um, you say in your article um, on uh, Wiggle Room, uh, cultural agency is a name for the kind of political voice that speaks through aesthetic effects and that can renew love for the world while it enhances the worth of artist agents. Instead of tracing the familiar routes from inequities back to power, where movement gets stuck and protesters can feel paralyzed, cultural agency pursues the tangents of daily practices to multiply creative engagements with power to get some wiggle room. And that it so describes what um, Augusto Boal is doing especially in forum theater and rainbow of desire and legislative theater mm -hmm. of finding a way out of no way right and you do that through the imagination that comes out of critical thinking and uh, innovative thought in community and in public spaces and in politics right. um, so I want you to talk more about art and okay. the aesthetics of this, I'm, too. I'm delighted by your line of question and, and by your close reading, so I want to begin by thanking you. Uh, Mokus, by training, is a philosopher. He's a philosopher, and he mm -hmm. focused on um, mathematics. He, uh, mm -hmm. Statistics is one of his fields. But um, when his philosopher colleagues say to him, Mokus, you think counterfactually. He looks at them with a, a, a wry smile and says, well, yes, because if you don't think counterfactually, you can't think about change. Mm -hmm. Academics are so focused on describing the world as is, as structure. And this is where Foucault gets stuck, where Adorno yeah. gets stuck, and where they produce a culture of pessimism in the academy. We're so stuck mm -hmm. on what is that we can't free up enough to think of what could be. And mm -hmm. that's why art is central. It's not decorative. It's not um, expedient. It is the vehicle for getting unstuck. There's mm -hmm. Schiller. There's Schiller. And I, I'm grateful, uh, again, for the mention of wiggle room uh, because that connects Mokus uh, to Freire and to Gramsci and to lots of people mm -hmm. because Gramsci said don't think of changing institutions this is right in Pedagogy of the Oppressed don't think of changing institutions because yeah. you will be crushed That's and that's Foucault, we know that right? Yeah. you will either be crushed or you will create more violence than you want mm. right? Mm -hmm. don't think of, of changing institutions find a wedge that's his code word Find some crack mm -hmm. in a system where you can insert yourself, do something good, you will get attention, and that will grow. Yeah. Okay, that's the wiggle room. Gramsci, when he thought of making revolution, thought exactly that way. Mm -hmm. Because his communist friends in the 1920s were saying, well, the south of Italy isn't economically mature enough for revolution. And Gramsci would say to them, if we have to wait for the south of Italy to be economically ready for revolution, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And the other uh, option at that point was to do a political revolution the way that Lenin did. Mm -hmm. And he said, again, if we have to go the political route, we're, we'll never be mature enough mm -hmm. in anybody's projection to have a revolution. How are we going to manage 
a revolution from the south of Italy and from Italy in general. Mm -hmm. It's only through culture. And it's short step by short step, trench by trench. Mm -hmm. Change the way a journalist writes the news, the way a teacher teaches a classroom, the way a priest gives a sermon, and you will be changing the ideology. That's what he called the culture. Mm -hmm. You'll be changing the ideology, expectations, relationships, and we will get there. Mm -hmm. He didn't say without violence, because at that point that would have sounded unheroic. But when Freire discovered Gramsci late in life, because yeah. they were running parallel, mm -hmm. he said, how come it took me so long? Mm -hmm. yeah. they, he recognized Gramsci as a companion mm -hmm. thinker. Yeah. Yeah. So you did this work at Harvard University. You are doing this work at Harvard. So you found uh, one of those cracks in the dominant structure, as Freire and Shore call it in, in one of their books. Um, so you went to the president with this idea. So how did you figure out where the cracks were at such a, a big university? I, I'd never asked myself that question, but it's 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 the it's a great way to um, to uh, to frame this moment. Um, I went to the president very shortly after the international scandal that followed his comments yeah. on mm -hmm. women in science. Mm -hmm. We thought at first that his comments were uh, kind of unscripted, throwaway, unguarded casual comments. And then we saw his 45-minute speech on the topic. Yeah. It circulated. So he was on tender hooks around women's issues. And I said, I think this is a good moment. This is my wedge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to have a serious conversation as a woman faculty member and as a defender of the humanities. Because the humanities, for a much longer time than the president had been there, mm -hmm. have been declining and shrinking. Yeah. And the problem has been not only impatience with people who are not invested in the humanities, it's also been with humanists who find it um, a, um, an unethical burden on their freedom to engage with practical issues. So the problem mm -hmm. with the humanities comes from the inside and the out. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very pleasant conversation with Larry Summers because I acknowledged to him that the problem with the humanities is not only uh, with skeptics but with defenders and that it was time to make the humanities a practical yeah. issue, a collaborative issue. And Cultural Agents was a project to, to help to do that, mm -hmm. to detonate that, those kinds of collaborations. And um, he wasn't quite sure what I was going mm -hmm. towards, so mm -hmm. I asked him uh, the question that I, I asked a lot of people in politics and economics at the time, uh, what he might do were he mayor of a city like Bogota in 1994. Mm. And when he acknowledged that he really couldn't figure out what anybody could do, yeah. and I told him about an arts intervention, he got it. Mm -hmm. he, um, he was very receptive and then um, a supporter. Yeah. Well, um, Viola, I want to bring you into mm -hmm. this too at Emory because 
both Emory Harvard and my own institution, which is a, a traditionally a women's college, mm -hmm. um, where this is going against the grain of the dominant ideology of higher education and classroom teaching, which is content driven, mm -hmm. which yes. is sage on a stage. Um, this is really, I mean, you talked about from the top, this stuff going on, uh, happening from the top down, cultural agency from Marcus and Bogota, and then from the bottom up from Augusto Boal and Freire and others with their work with peasants uh, in Brazil. Um, and here we are sort of in the middle, right, with students, we're faculty, we're professors, uh, and all the power dynamics and institutional boundaries and constraints um, in our classroom spaces and all of that. So would you, um, maybe Viola, you could start us out talking about how, what you're seeing mm -hmm. as some, some new innovative um, uh, ways of pedagogy or more radical pedagogies in the classroom that are uh, finding these cracks in the dominant structure mm -hmm. of the way that we're told and taught to be as professors and faculty and the way we're taught to see students in a certain place. Right, and not sure. as knowers and co-learners and co-creators. Yeah. So I came to uh, the conversation with Doris, having mm -hmm. had some other experiences that kind of prepared me um, to be in that conversation about pretext. Mm -hmm. And one of those uh, was uh, leading a community-engaged learning initiative here at Emory. Mm -hmm. And that grew out of having done some courses that were service learning at the time, is what we were calling it, or really community-engaged learning courses. And I remember uh, a moment in the 90s uh, teaching an um, intermediate Spanish course, conversation course. I was in a classroom in the middle of Emory's campus and we could look out over the uh, quad and see work that was being done with stonework that was being done and you can guess by whom. Uh, this is 90s right after the yeah. um, Olympics in Atlanta so there were a lot of workers and those workers were mostly from Mexico and Central mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. And I asked my students uh, so I was teaching a course in, the, in that traditional way <laughs> and I had a moment and I asked my students what their relationship was to the people that they could see working outside their window and to a person they told me that there was no relationship. And that was a real moment for me. That was a moment of, okay, these students do not understand what the relationship is. There is one but they can't yeah. see it. And they're unwilling to articulate a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at the time, the, there was a movement on campus to begin to offer these yeah. different kind of courses. And so mm -hmm. I created a community-engaged learning course that had my students go out and work with organizations who were working with the families of the men who were, mm -hmm. <laughs> or families like that. Yeah. Um, and so that, and of course, behind the community-engaged learning movement is John Dewey and mm -hmm. other of these thinkers. Um, and I began to understand that having students outside the classroom working with community partners was a much mm -hmm. more effective way to do the kind of teaching that I wanted to be doing and that the students would then take with them other kinds of learning 
beyond the content learning that I had been tasked with teaching. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, in 2014, uh, mm -hmm. the Imagining America conference was held here in Atlanta. So, Imagining Imagining America is a consortium of um, universities, colleges, and arts organizations mm -hmm. focused on the role of the artist and professors in public life, right? Yeah. And our artists and scholars, I guess that they call it, mm -hmm. um, in, in public life. And I had become involved in Imagining America because of the community-engaged learning work. And I was so struck by uh, the leaders of Imagining America and how they were very driven by the Boalian works yes. and Fereide and mm -hmm. um, were doing some really groundbreaking work around what does it mean to really transform higher education mm -hmm. using yeah. these kinds of ways of thinking and, um, and approaches to pedagogy. But using them not just with students, but with faculty, how do we transform yeah. the way that faculty think? Yeah. Uh, well, what kind of resistance do you get from faculty on, on this issue, uh, especially on Boal, because um, it's, it's new, it's play, it's mm. not, I mean, there's a lot of content to cover. You know, they're, the old demons um, speak in the head, right? The cops in the head, mm -hmm. to use Boal's term for it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, are just louder than these innovative uh, methods, especially those that pretty much privilege student voices and knowledges and questions um, and readings and um, journeys into text and mm -hmm. context. Well, I mean, there is resistance. You, you experienced that as well. I think uh, one of the things that Doris has said is mm -hmm. that the more people that the longer that people are able to experience, um, say, a pretext workshop, mm -hmm. um, the more they are then convinced that they could actually do this in their own classes. So yeah. giving a little taste of the workshop actually doesn't does is not convincing. Mm -hmm. It actually it. In my experience, at least, yeah. it's really it's really hard to kind of give a taste of what this is. Yeah. You actually have to go through a process, which in itself emphasizes the the, the importance of process uh, of the work. Yeah. Um, that mm -hmm. it's not just about uh, doing the one activity in your classroom, yeah. but rather it's yeah. a way of being with your mm -hmm. students. And that's a transformation of one's own psyche as a professor, <laughs> you know. That's just, just a different yeah. way of thinking about oneself. You have to begin to think of yourself as a facilitator, mm -hmm. not a teacher. And that's such an important point because too often, and I'm also guilty of this, you want a bag of tricks, mm -hmm. you know, or one more method you can use uh, to get students more involved. Uh, mm -hmm. in the subject matter, but it, there's no kind of holistic mm -hmm. ideology around that uh, mm -hmm. and, and respect and love of the process mm -hmm. of um, students being co-teachers and learners. Even mm -hmm. if we do have different roles, as Freire always points out, still we have different responsibilities, still our mutual accountability in that, in that process and learning journey. Mm -hmm. um, so. Let's talk about pretext and the whole um, uh, process of pretext, where you start with warm-ups mm -hmm. and storytelling and uh, 
imagining and drawing and art and clotheslines and mm -hmm. all this, this these wonderful things. Yeah. Um, pretext is a basket of good popular practices that we learn from uh, lots of Latin Americans and we're learning mm -hmm. new practices all the time from anyone who wants to play with us. Yeah. So it's a way not only of innovating but of acknowledging uh, popular practices. Mm -hmm. For example, Freire is uh, a name that we all know, many of us venerate, and very few of us use. I have been in classrooms where people give lectures huh. to rows of silent students on yeah. Freire. Yeah. <laughs> You've been there too. Yeah. Um, Freire is in that basket, Boal is in that basket. Um, making books out of cardboard, which is now a practice all over Latin America and in a few workshops that we have in Africa, we're starting mm -hmm. in China now. It's very easy to do, it's very fun, and you learn to love the book mm -hmm. that you have poured all of this attention mm -hmm. and you admire other people's books. Books become not sources of information, but cathectic yeah. objects of desire. Mm -hmm. and, and they're also made by you and by your colleagues. They're not sacred. They're, mm -hmm. they're you know, um, artificial, uh, and you know mm -hmm. who the artificer is. That's, that's the one thing uh, that I like about, um, maybe not the only thing, but the one thing that I like most about um, the translation of Viktor Shklovsky's article into Spanish. In English we call it art as technique, and in Spanish it's called el arte como artificio, which is a lovely redundancy. We don't remember that art is artificial, it's made up. It, you know that it's, mm -hmm. it's passed through human mind and, and hand. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a basket. We start with Boalian warm-ups, because if you're using someone else as clay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they use you as clay, and you're both sculptures, and you're both raw material. You mm -hmm. lose the fear of someone else's body. You you treat someone with respect and creativity, and with that beginning and the continuation of uh, standing in circles, talking to each mm -hmm. other, working in groups, bullying disappears. We have mm -hmm. never given a sermon or a harangue about the evils of bullying. Mm -hmm. It's just a new practice of mutual recognition and admiration as artists in a, in a workshop mm -hmm. that does away with bullying. So we start with Boalian warm-ups. Mm -hmm. Then we immediately go to making cardboard books, which is a, a practice all over Latin America now that mm -hmm. responds to economic crises. Um, and while we're making books, someone reads a text out loud, mm -hmm. the way that readers used to read in tobacco factories. Tobacco rollers were all intellectuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were illiterate, but there yeah. was not one roller who couldn't talk to you about history and Shakespeare. You know, when I tell people that the name Romeo and Juliet is a brand of, of cigars, is yeah. not casual. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Why don't we revive good practices? 
like that one, mm-hmm. like making books, and then asking questions of a text the way children know how to ask questions, and yeah. researchers. You can't start a research project without asking the text a question. Mm-hmm. It's in the interim between you know being a five-year-old and being uh, mm-hmm. you know an 18-year-old that people tell us not to ask so many questions. And that yeah. is deadening. That is yeah. criminal. So we ask the text a question, and then we post speculations about our questions mm-hmm. on a clothesline, the way people still publish in the northeast yeah. of Brazil, Literatura de Cordel. Mm-hmm. And so we bring in a few popular creative practices that mm-hmm. we've learned from other people, and then we invite the participants in the workshop to make up their own artistic practices around this text. Yeah. And so we pass the baton, as we say in Spanish, we mm-hmm. pass the leadership role, mm-hmm. and everyone gets to lead. And that's mm-hmm. another reason, as Viala was saying, it's not enough to come to an introductory workshop. It's the series of five workshops yeah. that allows you to take over for 45 minutes and experience how everyone else can take over. Mm-hmm. And it encourages us to let students take over. Yeah, and that in in some quarters in higher education is heresy, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and I think using pretext in a class that I've and I've done this for uh, three years now, uh, it, it has taught me that I, I do have some content knowledge yeah. on which I can base a structure for the class, right? I can provide some beginning mm-hmm. points for readings, right? I can provide, uh, I can I can identify some texts that we probably should read if we're going to look at this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet what the students do with that uh, is it, it's, it can be really interesting. Uh, yeah. And the, the um, goals that you might have for a particular class period can be met by doing something that looks like you're going out at it in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to give up the 45 minutes it's going to take you to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And therefore, mm-hmm. I won't have the 45 minutes to say all of those things to the students that I want to make sure that they get. Yeah. But they will get something just as important and they will get all of those points very likely. Yeah. And if they don't, we can at the end sort of be participants ourselves and remember to mention that one other thing that hadn't been mentioned yet, right? Yeah, so, you know, Freire is, is also quick to add that lecture is okay sometimes, or mm-hmm. many lectures, right, mm-hmm. for, for some content and, mm-hmm. and knowledge uh, exchange. But this going off on tangents, mm-hmm. right, and this yeah. chaos in a classroom, I mean, you're moving desk and tables around, I'm assuming, and students are taking leadership. It's, it's just total chaos, <laughs> right? Well, you, you mentioned the organization of the classroom, the, the choreography mm-hmm. of the classroom before, yeah. and I, I, yeah. I want to underline that. And, and the really choreography of production. Right, <laughs> production. And, and, and one, of, one, of my, um, one of my bullets when I talk to skeptical people and they are skeptical until they experience this, is that choreography is much more important than content. Mm-hmm. If you can get people to look at each other, mm-hmm. to play with each other, to ask each other questions, to recognize one another as 
both resources and co-citizens whom you care about, yeah. you will get to all of the content. Mm -hmm. You will get to all of the content, just as Viala yeah. said. And one of the activities that, that we developed, I mean, this is something that I developed just because, um, you know, we all run on love, as Freire mm -hmm. says, if we're teachers. Yeah. But I want, to, uh, I want to acknowledge and come clean and say I run on resentment, too. Mm -hmm. I run on resentment. I can't tell you how many times, and this has happened to you, too, teachers have told me not to go off on tangents. And then, I mean, I didn't pay them any attention, but mm -hmm. then teachers want to know why students aren't curious, why they don't enjoy reading, when, yeah. they, when the students have been told not to go off and do what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. okay? So we actually tell students to go off on tangents. This is the end of part one of our conversation on cultural agents and pretext with Doris Summer and Viola Hartfield-Mendez.